our little farm connects to it all. It, it, we're not alone. We're not in a vacuum. I felt like I was pretty off grid when I moved to the middle of nowhere. Hey everybody, welcome to another week of Funny Business. Today with me, I have Joshua Hughes. Josh, how are you? I'm doing great. Having a beautiful uh, spring morning here. Oh, I was going to say, you're out in Oregon, right? I am. I'm in Eugene and it's beautiful today. It's not raining and it's blue skies. So. All right. So before we dive into the complex nature that is your life, let's start from the beginning, actually. What was your childhood like? Where'd you grow up and, and how how'd that like shape you into who you are today? Well, I, I grew up in Southern Oregon, a little little town called Medford back in the 70s. It wasn't a super progressive town. It was kind of a logging and fishing area. And my family comes from Southern California and they moved up there in the early 70s and started an auto wrecking business. So I spent my childhood running around an auto wrecking yard of like big family business, really cutting my teeth on the forests and enjoying nature and really getting out. And, you know, my whole life was on my bike or in the trees, building tree houses or, you know, really thinking I was going to be in an Ewok village when I grew up, which is funny because I kind of ended up there. I'm going to spend as much time as I can this summer down near Crater Lake and kind of take that in again because... That's my stomping grounds. And yeah, growing up in a wrecking yard uh, at a young age, I, I kind of got to see that what most people thought of as garbage was not garbage. Uh, what most people, maybe whether they wanted to or had to throw away because they didn't have space in their life for it was was very valuable if, if done right. So I, I kind of watched my family um, not make money by any means, but but deal with waste and repurpose it. And and, and it, it taught me a lot about I know, looking for gold in the garbage. So uh, it kind of put me on my path as I grew up in a wrecking yard of, of turning things that people thought of as garbage into, into value. But uh, being an Oregonian, I, loving the forests, I, uh, my stomping grounds that I thought were all forest, as I grew up, I realized they were all kind of tree farms and they started getting cut down and it really affected me to see what I thought of as my stomping grounds. My forest uh, was actually just somebody's economy and, and it, uh, it affected me deeply. So I, don't know, I got into trying to figure out how to have a different relationship with forests that maybe could last longer or be, be more back and forth. And it, it led me into forest actions and trying to protect forests here in Oregon. And real quick, that hurts both pepper spray and batons and, and uh, you know, it's not good. And I don't want to be in front of somebody's livelihood either. And there's better ways to protest. So, you know, it, it led me into trying to do forestry and, and engage in a way that really, I don't know, more thoughtful, more planned, and maybe considered more life forms than just humans. So, and that's what it's led me down this path. And that's why I sit here smiling in the forest of Oregon again. But, uh, but that, that's part of my life. The last 15 years has been fully in Costa Rica in the jungle. And uh, me and about 150 friends and family own this properties down there together. And we've been doing kind of a radical diverse ownership group of trying to do rebuild the commons together and rebuild uh, our local food structures and forests and stuff. So we've been taking a shot at that. And we've had about 5,000 people come participate and help us do it. So. Wow. One day, if you feel like it, you, can, you may, won't be able to wear these flannels. It'll be too hot, but we can go down there and plant some trees together. At, at our main farm, Verdenergia, we've had about 5,000 people come through and participate and do these things and think on these things together. And it's been blossoming into hundreds of different interesting projects around the world, actually. That's super cool. Okay, so you, you talked a little bit about how the forestry helped you get more interested in what you're doing now. I believe your, your organization is called Black Sheep, right? It's Black Sheep, Regenerative Resource Management is the name of our project in Costa Rica up here, it's Black Sheep USA or Black Sheep US. What we do is we're, we've, we've been taking the lessons learned at our principal farms down there. We've been doing reforestation and, and dabbling in like every type of plant agriculture we could to try and help bring our area back. Our area was totally deforested for mm -hmm. the cattle, cattle and tobacco 
industries years ago and the communities have really been draining. Uh, people have been leaving and moving to the cities and not everybody wants to do that. And I, I, when we got out there, we wanted to figure out what needed to happen in that community, listen, and then help help offer people choices. So we've uh, we've been leaning in on the things that worked, which was reforest as hard as we could, which built the soil, which then started creating surplus. We really just got down there and started planting trees. And what it turned into was an immense amount of biodiversity. And in no time, areas that were gone and erosion just destroying destroying the area like you wouldn't believe it in just a couple of years there's 80 foot trees and they're, they're a foot across i get 25 feet of rain a year you know it's, it's a serious amount of water you think it rains a lot in oregon try try costa rica in the wet season <laughs> but we, we get we get enough rain that trees really grow if you can help them if you can enable this and stop cutting them down so in no time things really turned around and in in, in just a matter of five years it looked to the layperson as like looked like a forest again Another 10 years later, another 15 years later, and there's topsoil again where it was gone. And the, the methods we used to bring that back were we used hundreds of different methods and experiments over the years to see what worked to bring back soil. And, and in all of this, it started being productive. So black sheep has kind of been born out of the, the lessons learned in doing the work of reforestation and trying to figure out how to rebuild or at least offer a community a chance to rebuild. So our group and our friends from around the world have been subsidizing with experiments with teachers and educators coming together. I don't know, we come up with maybe 50 things that really work. And we're, we're applying those in kind of a small business approach now, mm. creating products that, that uh, benefit people here in the North. And, you know, no matter how local we want to be in our lives up here, we're still going to drink coffee or eat chocolate. And that's going to come from places like Costa Rica. And sure. we need to be gentle. We need to be good to them just like we are to our local CSAs or sub- community supported agriculture that we join. We, I want my tomatoes and my cacao to both do good. So we've been, we've been really taking the plants that really groove with bringing back forests. And, and that people demand up here, superfoods, things like turmeric, which is one of the principal things we grow, helping value add the crops, leaving a bunch of the money on the ground down there for farmers to, to do good work with and to rebuild their communities. And yeah, just tethering, tethering the, the market closely to the, to the good work that we're doing in the jungle and trying to do it right. It's, it's been an adventure. It's not been cheap. We've been tethering together lots of different parties from governments to investors around the world to small farmers in my, in my little region, my watershed. You know, we're, we're creating products that are, that are good for the world and that are great for my community and for the forest. So that's, that's, that's what, that's what led me to this point. And we've been really learning from the main farm we've had, we've had 15 years to listen and in listening, we've come up with, with black sheep. What's uh, what's one of the products that you're the most proud of developing? Well, right now we have turmeric products. We have a turmeric concentrate called liquid sunshine. (laughs) It's a turmeric and piperine tincture that we're putting out. So we're stabilizing product down the farms and processing them down there. And then we're bringing them up here and co-packing them. So we have, we have that and we have an essential oil. Those are our first two products we've brought through the whole value chain. And we've been developing this like re- regenerative act all the way through from the farm through to the, the, the customer up here and how we do everything from growing to labeling, um, mm-hmm. being a, a piece of the solution, not a piece of the problem or part of the problem. So yeah, we've been, that's our first two products. And we have several more coming through this year, mostly turmeric based. And every year from from now on, we'll probably put out a new product every few months from the hundreds of different source ingredients we've been growing in Costa Rica and developing that the market is now asking for up here. We also have another part of our company, Black Sheep, where we we sell uh, ingredients to others. So we're helping other people source regenerative ingredients from our farms and our neighbors as well. Awesome. Our main product is called Rewild Organics. That's our that's our forward facing brand, and we're offering your fan, your listeners a, a discount. Like to like to give everybody a chance to buy our products at thirty percent off. So oh, sweet. Uh, what what code should they use, and where should they go to be able to, to do that? We're going to do Harmon thirty thirty percent off code for your people, and that would be rewildorganics.org. That's at our website. Yeah, come please check out our products. This is the best expression of how we can 
both stabilize products in the jungle and get them around the world efficiently with everything in mind that our, you know, our activist hearts desire. So it's been a lot, lot of work, 15 years in the making to bring this product to market this year. Okay. So you're just saying 15 years in this business, right? So what were some yeah. of the earliest mistakes that you made in running this business and what did you learn from them? Well, I, I you know, I got to make a lot of mistakes in my older life, um, like more corporate gig life. And when we stepped into the farm, I bought pretty far off grid. Um, I, we went down and went 40 miles from the closest town. We were 20, 30 miles off of pavement down where I bought in Costa Rica. I did that on purpose. So mm. what most people might consider like a, a mistake, I considered like a dream because I was far enough from everyone to try and experiment and do things I want to do, make a lot of noise. I'm a, I'm a big noisy dude. <laughs> so we were just trying to, trying to find a place off grid. So I don't know, mistakes early on. I, I'm uh, pretty stubborn. I was pretty anti-petroleum. I've been trying really hard to do this without impacting the world but through... Uh, I don't know, just, just taking. So in the beginning, I maybe didn't give myself all the tools I needed. I've stayed, I stayed away from money for many years. We went off grid and I was, I was living on like a thousand dollars a year at my farm down there. Um, happily, happily local, amazing food, fruit pouring off the trees, but you know, working, working hard with my neighbors and selling chickens and, <laughs> and living, living life without much capital. And that was great. But the lessons learned now, I wish I would have like leaned in harder to deploy more capital earlier and buy mm. more tools. That stuff, I wasn't a farmer going in. I was a, an activist trying to figure out what to do. So yeah, I, I spent a lot of money in experiments, which is fine. And mistakes, I don't know. We stayed out of debt. So mistakes made or you know, don't cost you your business. I took my company and, and started selling shares of it to friends and family instead of going to banks for money. So mm. we did this in a diverse way. We have about 75 people that own this together, seven farms. So in that radical experiment of owning something as a big group, I mean, mistakes made there are, you know, I count on adults and sometimes adults aren't that great, <laughs> but I, I'll keep doing that. That's not a mistake. I keep trusting people. You have good contracts, you know? <laughs> so, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've let a lot of people in. We've spent a lot of money on lawyers. That's, that's not a mistake, but that's a reality. <laughs> but to help organize, you know, kind of this co-op mentality that helps people own a farm together and helps helps a community do good work. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuts and bolts to that, but we took it slow and we had, we had thousands of people come through our main farm, Verdenahia, and just spend time together and learn each other. And, and we built our team out of friendship. And then Black Sheep got to come online with a core group of friends that were, that have gone through it all together or tried to, you know, dive into something difficult and do it together, which has been the main, the building of our main farm, the reforestation of our region, all the, the challenges of just being so far off grid together. Sometimes we'll throw 50 people in out there and live together for six months. And, you know, we've done that with one refrigerator. <laughs> so, you know, trying, trying to see what's, what's possible, making everything from scratch. And, you know, it doesn't all have to be that way. The next, you know, my mom and dad live there now. They have their shipping container house made out of bamboo and shipping containers and they've got their own fridge. But, but you know, we've, we've really let it be an experiment. So our mistakes have been small. And they haven't cost much. They've also been community-based, so we've done them together. But I don't know, big mistakes? Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot there. Most of my bigger mistakes came in the my traditional background in the recycling world before and maybe taking too much risk too early or something. But at our farms in this land, we did it with cash and we did it up front wanting to, to stay away from those pitfalls. So you know, we've been lovingly constructing this and designing this from the ground up with a whole bunch of people's minds together. Mm -hmm. So as a co-op of folks, 
um, hopefully you get some wisdom. Don't have to make all the mistakes over and over. <laughs> yeah. you know? But, you know, in trusting adults, you're going to have problems and that, that's not a mistake. That's just life. This is like the heart and soul of funny business. There, there's always somebody else out there doing a little bit better than you or doing basically what you're doing, but in, in a different way. And I love the, the idea that good artists create on their own or they borrow, but great artists steal. So... Yeah, yeah. What have you stolen from somebody else who seems to be doing, or who, who was doing better than you, and how have you made it your own for your business? That's how I operate completely, because we're like an open source group. I mean, people like Bill Mollison, the permaculture guides that have been out there writing, the, studying and learning from the world for years, the indigenous tribes and farmers, from littlest farmers to the largest, I've been tapping into all that. It's all about borrowing that knowledge. I, I, I'm, I'm really just a conduit. My business is always, my life has been a conduit, find people that are good at what they do and, and get them working and try and inspire them. The people that inspire me, there's some people in Costa Rica that do amazing projects on the ground that have inspired me. Like guys like Stephen Brooks, who you should meet and talk to one day, who are so passionate about trees and fruit and soil. They just motivated me to do better and they still do every day. And people like Tom Newmark, who've built businesses out of out of nothing with agriculture and then have learned how to how to relax, you know, like, and, and, and build forests. Now, I, I don't know, there's a lot of inspiration for me out there and I do nothing on my own. We're a co-op of co-ops. I tend to just be the, the loud one that doesn't mind doing media and stuff and going out and talking to the world. But yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm inspired by Howard Zinn. I'm inspired by Noam Chomsky. I'm inspired by Emma Goldman. I yearn to be more like any one of them, but you know, whatever. On the ground, we're just going to do our little thing, be our, do our part. And in our valley, if I could be as good as my neighbor Omar and just maintain a family on a happy family in the middle of nowhere for a couple grand a year, like, you know, big win. <laughs> so, you know, my heroes are my neighbors too. You've got seven different farms out in Costa Rica. There's a lot going on. So how do you manage all that? How do you achieve efficiency? <clears throat> well, we've been, we have three different farms on the ground. We have a couple of processing companies. We have a part of the company up here now. It's seven different companies we've tethered together out of the necessity. What I've really been doing is we took years to listen. When I say I started 15 years ago, I mean, we started the slow roll of just like building soil and building forest and then see what would come out of that as it started to get healthy and produce. And so, yeah, the, the deepest lessons for me have come and, and the way we've tethered it all together has been out of pure necessity. If it, why, do, why do my neighbors not succeed with this amazing rain and opportunity and soil and biodiversity and listening to them and for years hearing that lack of access to things like equipment to do processing of goods, lack of access to the right tools lack of access to the right experts. So we started like bringing in the right experts and like figuring out how to do that and then getting them there. But then how, you know, what is that really doing? Well, we need to figure out how to get this production someone's doing to a market where it's fair to them. And so we, we grew out of the need in the, in, of our community and we've grown out of the, the deeper macro needs of the studies I've done and my, my, fame, my partners have done to what's happened to this planet and what's happened to Central America, what's, what's happened to the global South. Uh, the extractive practices and and the fact that we feel so wealthy in the north but we just got the paper and the, the, like the resources are in the, where i live and people feel poor so like we you know trying to trying to work with with people and and help shift that not the priorities and flip the script a bit and and we've you know we have the stuff where i'm at we grow the pineapples we shouldn't be poor we shouldn't get cancer from monsanto products these kind of things so you know we're we're we're, we're listening to our neighbors listening to the ones that have passed away for the active that have been activism activists the berta caseras of the world we've been listening and then we're applying it at each little level and like help having smart people help design it universities have been helping us we have students coming from northeastern and from university of costa rica that that come and help 
us design these things. And so this has been a collaborative effort. It's, it's been a, it's been a democratic effort. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the big missteps are still to come because now we're, now we're taking, you know, now we're taking things and, and the big designs are, are getting there. Cause now we have a couple million dollars worth of goods coming off our product, off our land and out of our co-op. Now, now the challenge is don't waste it, get it, get it value added, get it to the right spot. You know, and my heart of hearts, making sure my product isn't on the floating in the ocean one day with a plastic label, right? Like, so being a piece of that, and now we're up here to, in this this part of the market to to help make sure labeling's better and bottles are better. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we're we're going to keep piecing together the pieces that are required for us to succeed and us to have a, a whales in the future, to be frank, and uh, <laughs> and you know, put less plastic in the ocean. So, yeah. as as our little our little farm connects to it all, it, it, we're not alone. We're not in a vacuum. I felt like I was pretty off grid when I moved to the middle of nowhere. It mm. feels pretty lonely out there when it's raining 20 feet in one month uh, <laughs> at times, but people love the jungle. And, and, and when people can connect to the wildlife and the, like, you know, David Attenborough is very popular for a reason. When people yeah. can connect in HD and feel it, especially kids and young people, they protect it. So our, our place has really just been uh, really at the end of the day, it's there that, so that people can enjoy and fall in love with nature. And if we can do that, we'll all treat it better with our, you know, the way we do business. So how long did it take you to, to get to the point? Where, like, I would imagine at the beginning, it, it kind of felt like a little bit more like a pipe dream. So how long did it take to go from a pipe dream to an ethical business? Well, we started I mean, right away when I built my first structure down there. People wanted to be, like, learn these things. People wanted to understand the jungle and nature and help plant trees. Like, people from all over the world would contact me randomly like i've thousands and thousands of people a year trying to like come to the farm and participate from day one the second i had a roof <laughs> so it, it started growing itself really quickly and initially i thought i thought i was really just building kind of the this life raft for my family this beautiful place for my family and friends maybe 15 20 of us would own it together but it turned into a place that a lot of people wanted to be or, or i shouldn't say that it became the place people came to and started doing like the reforestation work. And it was very organic. I mean, the, it, it's more like, when did it start brewing in all my friends' heads at festivals 15 years before? When, when, when everybody's sitting around thinking, man, I want to live differently. Or, you know, you eat some mushrooms at Burning Man and you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change. I'm going to live on a farm with my friends. Well, I, I, I don't really just dream. I, when, when things make sense, I do them. And I do them small, tend to do them very small and quickly at home. And rather quickly, as I got engaged in food and I got engaged in CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture in Oregon, I saw the potential and the lever that food could be to fix the planet. I've been winning since day one because I've been eating healthier. My friends and family eat healthier. When, whenever I learn something good, I, I leverage it quick. Like if, if there's a CS out, CSA out there that I like, like 700 people are going to sign up in it because I won't shut up about it. So, so you know, my, my mission has been just divert, divert and build parallel systems that work and, and, and withdraw legitimacy from the things I don't like. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'll be a loud mouth for the things I don't like. I boycott a lot of things. <laughs> but, you, you know, you can't just boycott all the chocolate because I need some chocolate. So yeah. we had to go start a chocolate farm, right? So, <laughs> so you know, we and, and, and being in Costa Rica and in these farm situations, I got to try several hundred different kinds of plants in the same spot. So mm -hmm. all these different ideas, may, they may seem kind of like, oh, you're, you're in the chocolate business or you're growing lumber or something. But it's really all just what did the what grooved with the forest and what did it spit out when we like leaned on it and gave it love? Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, most of what's in the jungle now is edible or medicinal for a reason. People have been tending to this for tens of thousands of years. And we've been planting the things we like. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've fallen in love and I've, I'm possessed by the success of nature. So, I'm, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, 
it's a slow roll, but it's, it was designed that way. I didn't yeah. go and put myself in $5 million debt day one and try this, but over 15 years or whatever it's been now, we probably spent a couple million dollars in a group of a few hundred or a few thousand in our region doing things we love and practicing different ways of living. So it's, it's, it's come organically. That's the best way I could, I could say it, I guess. That's awesome. And, and lately we're, we've been spending real money and uh, having live-in accountants and live-in lawyers for real, go and live at the jungle, live in these polyculture farms and try and help us explain this to bankers in New York so that yeah. people, so that the, the risk takers of the world can maybe start jumping on board with some real money and leverage the best parts of what we've learned. You know, there's, there's a lot of money in forestry. Warehouser and Georgia Pacific have proven that. It doesn't all have to go to two families though. It can go right. to the farmers too. So, you know, we're, we're here to, to lean in and, and subsidize and, and then try and explain this to people. Use some of this, you know, maybe privilege I was dealt being born where I was to, to affect other people's perspective on this as much as I can, you know? What's one of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in the 15 years of running Black Sheep? Living far off grid, not having internet. We didn't have the internet there for probably 10 years. I was offline Whoa. at the time when like smartphones came along. This is my first like smartphone I've really had. Uh, I was, I was offline and that, that was a challenge, but it was good because I still want to talk about like the Vietnam war right now, what happened and, and fix that, you know? So, so I needed some time out and me going off grid so far off. I, I'd, I'd go into town once a week and download some democracy now and listen to Amy Goodman or something, but it really did help me calm down and work. So I'd say both challenge. I didn't have the internet positive i didn't have the internet <laughs> and a bunch of young people came out there and we played board games and chess and, and settlers of Catan. so cool but but it has been that's been a bigger a big challenge not being available um you know i've lost some family members while i'm off in the middle of the jungle oh, you no. know, or whatever you know or, or wasn't there when a grandparent was dying or something that stuff's very real if you choose to go live off grid far enough like i did and if you i mean i took a real stand against things I don't like. And I, I stopped flying for 15 years. Well, that ideological stance has cost me some, some moments with people I love, you know? So yeah, I don't know. I've, I'm softening a bit on those ideological things and trying to use things like flying on a plane back to Costa next week to, to plant more trees, you know, leverage it more. So I'm, I'd say I'm, I'm being less tough on myself as a, as an activist. I went to, I went to the San Diego zoo this year, like that kind of stuff I didn't do for 20 years. Cause I was like angry about that stuff. So sure. I went and hung out with gorillas and I, I feel better. <laughs> so maybe the young, the young activist in me was a little too tough on me. So, so what is it that you like the best about working with black sheep? Having a team is always great. I, I don't know. I, I, I've done sole proprietorships. I've done businesses by myself and you know, it's fun. You can, you're agile or whatever. It doesn't, if you fail, it's just you, but I, I love having a team. I love having the pull. You know, we've got like seven or eight people on our executive team at black sheep that keep each other going, keeps me going. And when I'm up or down, they're up or down. It works nice that we're all not up or down together. <laughs> um, and the, the time in the jungle is precious. I highly recommend going to a place where the, the bugs are so loud you can hardly hear yourself talk. I highly recommend putting yourself off, off grid of a place like our farm for a minute and like feeling what it, what it means. Like you feel small in a place like the jungle, yeah. I, you know, or, or the redwoods. I like, I, I really appreciate like settling down and, and enjoying the nature that I that I'm trying to work with and help. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and water. I, I went into all this. You said what really motivated me at the beginning of all this the beginning was water. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't just forest, but at the, it was why it was oceans and, and the healing energy that our rivers, lakes and oceans. And I, and I, I grew up as a kid that loved rivers. And when I realized that chemicals or plastic or whatever was affecting it, I was part of that. I, 
I was so motivated to not do bad, to do good to the things I love. And when you go and do forestry work, right? Like in no time, spring start again, like Mm. in no time, water tests clean in just a few years. Like I'm possessed by the success uh, and the regenerative power of nature. Uh, That's why I smile, even though I I do work that overwhelms you with statistics you don't want to know about, (laughs) you know? So, okay. So earlier you were talking about how you lived without internet for like 10 years. How? 2006 to 2016. Yeah. How do you stay up to date in your industry then? Well, when I got down there, I I was just, I just had a bunch of no's. I didn't know what I was going to do. Planting trees is a pretty simple game. I didn't, I didn't really care what was going on in the world anymore. I needed to plant trees. I read probably a hundred newspapers a week. So I would go into town and download these things and stay up up on the world. I'd still, I, I still read every like hometown newspaper of every town I've lived in every week. So I was doing that even from the middle of nowhere. I go into town and download all that news and download information from friends or family news, or whatever from them. But yeah, I, don't know. I, I didn't really need to stay in touch for a while. I read books, books. Actually, that's how, that's really what I did. I dove into to books and having time in the jungle. I, I, without the internet, I got, I had time to read. That may be one of the things that if you ask anybody that's come to my farm says they really get like their most appreciative thing of being there is the time that they got to read. It felt like college again. They get to read books. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I've read probably 5,000 books about nature and about ag and just about anything that has to do with the geopolitics around that. And yeah, fill in my mind with, with books and then finding those authors however I can and following up on that. Much more important than just the daily news I think for, for my personality type that I remember the long game that I remember that, you know, I, while this year up in the States with the news in my face, I, I did active things, you know, out with BLM and out with trying to get rid of Donald Trump. Um, it was really nice being in a spot where my, my game was like 10 year snapshot of like, what's going to happen when you plant 2 million trees with your neighbors, what happens in five years, what happens? And, and we did, we planted 2 million trees in our region. And, and we, we like, so my, my lessons were really in slowing down, watching trees grow. As you, we've only met today, but you can imagine I bounce off the walls with energy and yeah. having moving into a place and like watching trees grow for a living was quite a lesson for me. So, <laughs> so for those of you that are only listening to this podcast, I'm sure you can hear it in his voice, but I don't think Josh has stopped smiling once this entire time. <laughs> Well, I, I really love, I'm liking seeing you. I like seeing people. And this year was a real bummer at my farm. Normally three or 400 people come through in a year and we spend real time together. And this year was like isolation in a way that it's, it's been zoom. And it's been like this, I, I just like jump right into trusting and being friends with people. And then we both wearing flannel and you, who knew that would happen. <laughs> so I'm enjoying connecting with you and, and yeah. your audience. I realized the power of podcasts when I lived off grid, like it's not like, I like talk radio. I'm, I'm from the seventies, you know, I have a gray beard here, but I'm, I'm 44 now, but I listen to talk radio when I'm in the car. And he's like the, the way the relationship happens with, with podcasters is different. And when I was in the jungle off grid, it kept me going to listen to not just the news, not just a opinion piece, but the long form conversation between people yeah. that are interesting and that's, they're interested and I'm interested in them. So I've, uh, it, it's really precious to me and I try to be my complete self and just as open as possible. And I'm making a lot of friends out there in the world. Every time I get to talk with you in the podcast, and I really do mean this. People can contact me. If your listeners want to chat more, want to talk about anything we've talked about, call my number directly. I'd be happy to. Awesome. Where, where should they go to be able to, to get that phone number? Yeah. My, well, my number is 503-898-2163. And I mean it. People call me up and chat about regenerative ag. If you want to come plant trees in the jungle with us, 
if you just want to drink some turmeric. <laughs> I love that you've been living in uh, Costa Rica for the last 15 years and yet you still have an Oregonian phone number. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got back here and I, I had to, yeah, I had to re-engage. I really was, I was off grid and just had my email address for many years. Um, down there, it's, it's no joke. You like find a cell signal, like a commercial, just, can you hear me? And you get to say about three words and it cuts out. But so oh. I, I learned, I learned to communicate differently, but at our farm, normally people come and live there with me for six months and we get a long patient, you know, deep dive with each other. <laughs> so, and there'll be about 40 of us living there at any given time and our family just keeps growing. It's, it's nice. So that actually uh, brings me to my next question. Who is the ideal person to come live with you guys on your farms? Well, I mean, it's a lot of young people come student types that want to want to check things out and understand. And that's, that's the ideal. But then people like my mom come down there and stare at hummingbirds and they're as happy as happy as a bee. So it's, it's for everybody. We're, we're a comfortable little spot in the forest. We're an hour from a, a beautiful little town with no fast food restaurants and stuff. So we're in the middle of nowhere. You have to like nature mm. and you probably should, you know, you probably should appreciate bugs. <laughs> but I, I get more mosquito bites in Oregon in the summertime than I do in Costa Rica. Oh, interesting. Uh, Oh, for sure. Where I'm at in the, in the mountains. You don't want to be down near like a palm oil plantation. There's a mosquitoes and nuts down there. But when you get up in the healthy jungle, it's, it's, there's a lot more balance than you'd think. The bugs are all eating each other. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, it's pretty much for anybody that appreciates nature. We have a lot of like engineers that come down and spend their, their last six months of college in a co-op at our place, just planting trees instead of, instead of on the computer. So and they may not seem like that's their type, the type that would come there, but yeah, it's pretty much for, for anybody that appreciates birds <laughs> or trees. <laughs> well, awesome. Josh, this has been an absolute blast. I love having you on the show. For those of you who are listening at home, make sure to like and subscribe and share this with a friend uh, for somebody who enjoys nature. And we'll see you guys next week. Want to learn the tricks of our trade? We have them all laid out in our courses on Harmon Brothers University. This isn't surface level stuff here. This is our entire playbook, all our secrets laid out in full, the same training we give our own employees. You'll find courses on ad buying, writing video scripts to sell your product or service, creating the kind of large production ads we're known for, even making short ads using nothing but your cell phone. If you're looking to use video marketing to take your business to the next level, Harmon Brothers University has the course for you. Our students have seen incredible growth in their businesses by implementing what they learned in our courses. Take these reviews as living proof. We've now got multiple campaigns that are in the millions of views and in the multiple millions of dollars in sales. Within a week, we're close to 10 million views, over a million in sales, and most impressively, we've covered 100% of the production costs in the first 24 hours of releasing it. We saw immediate results. Sales went up 10x the first day. The first video we did is over 30 million views. The most customers that we've ever acquired in a single month. I think we had about 26,000 new customers. Go to HarmanBrothersUniversity.com to start accelerating your business's growth with video.